Super fun. Good morning, everyone. Ah, what a great lead-in. We'll talk a little bit more of that kind of deep love. Let's stand together and read our verses that we are going through in the, um, now in the weeks to come. This is the Apostle Paul out of Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. All right. Oh, oh okay. That's the, that's the series we're in. Yep. All right. And uh, it'll, it'll let us go to the, to the verses in just a moment. Oh, there's Isaac again. And there we go. Okay. Ready? Go. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Have a seat. It is so good to see your faces. At least the part of them I can see. Yeah. Today we look at the last or the sentence from Romans 12:10, the first half of it, 12:10a, love each other with mutual affection. Start with a story. I was riding in the front seat, my Buddhist minimalist friend was driving. The social worker democrat was in the back seat and suddenly a question came up that made me feel quite different. And it was this question. Is Christianity really the only way to God? Of course, they knew I was a pastor and I would have thoughts about this, this exclusive nature of our faith. Now, up until that point in the day, I had felt so united and together with them and not other then. We were board members of the Family Relief Nursery down in Cottage Grove, and we had traveled that day up here to the state capitol to lobby for underprivileged and vulnerable children. And I was feeling all through that day the high that comes doing good work together. 
we had made our point and made our case and felt like we were making progress. We had lunch together and we, we celebrated this moment that felt like it was good for our organization and good for the children that we were all serving together. And then on the drive home, <laughs> the question came up and I was suddenly feeling like maybe I will be rejected. Maybe I will not represent my faith well. Can you feel with me that moment? That moment. Well, I did express what I feel like the Christian tradition suggests that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I put it out there. And wouldn't you know it? I was loved. I was accepted. As a matter of fact, in the days to come, in the weeks and months to come, I, as president of the board of Family Relief Nursery, led us through a very significant transition. And as we worked together, I was not loved less. I was not liked less. I was actually liked and respected a whole lot. And that was a surprise to me. It was a surprise to me because often I have felt that if I'm honest about what I think about my faith, I will be rejected. That fear has come because of my experience in church. In church, I have learned among Christians that it can be unsafe to share your opinion that does not match the status quo. Whew. You might be able to relate. I'm sure you can. We all know what it is like to be afraid that our convictions or our perspectives or our opinions won't be respected. Worse than disrespected, we can be concerned that our brothers and sisters would dismiss us or devalue us over a difference of opinion. I've talked with several of you over the last couple of weeks and you have shared how other people who are Christian have come at you with harsh judgment and condemnation and you have felt the judgment of your brothers and sisters. And some of you have reported the separation that you are feeling with your Christian brothers and sisters. <sighs> You're navigating a complex and hard world. They're navigating a complex and hard world. And the, the challenges that come up have created actual division between you. Have you felt it? Yeah. Have you been there? Yeah. yeah. Well, Christian thinker and author and pastor Mark Sayers recently pointed out this. He said, the pandemic didn't change the world, but it revealed the changes that were already happening. The changes that we're all going through right now are the changes that will be happening. We are moving into a new era of history. The changes will not, we will not settle back into some sort of normal with what was, but we are going into what is inevitable, the world is changing and it's changing quickly. We're living through this change. We're wrestling with it and it's creating these big emotions and these expressions of opinion. And then what happens with that? Oftentimes division. <sighs> this is why we come back to the scriptures over and over and over. The scriptures are not pointed at the world at large saying, you all need to do this. But rather, we like to say it like this, the Christians, the, the scriptures have an inside voice speaking to those who are in the church, who are endeavoring to follow Jesus. So the scriptures are for us. 
The scriptures are for anyone who will call upon the name of the Lord. But God is first of all interested in critiquing and correcting us. And this is why we go back to them over and over and over. I think that God knew that we would struggle as the church. A part of why we would struggle as a church is because his vision for what we should be is so large. It's so big (laughs) that every person, regardless of race or nationality or gender or experience or socioeconomic place in the world, whether you're powerful or have no power at all, belongs to the same family. That's a huge vision. And it is hard to work it out. And the scriptures are full of invitations of how you work that out in the midst of so complexity. Aren't you so glad we have the scriptures? I am as well. Yeah. So we must remember, and this is what we're learning through this whole series, all to Jesus, that our postures of love must be greater than the issues. This is what is most important. And this is what will carry us through learning how to posture ourselves so that whatever disruption, confusion, conflict emerges, that we are positioned and postured correctly so we can navigate it representing Jesus well. Somebody say amen. Amen. So again, just a few words from Romans 12, 10 this morning. Love each other with mutual affection. So over the last couple of weeks, we've laid out the context of the people receiving this letter. The book of Romans was originally a letter written from Paul to the church in Rome. And these people, uh, uh, or this letter likely would have been read to them um, by somebody. That's how it was often uh, communicated. And uh, likely Romans 16 points out Phoebe. And likely this letter would have been read by Phoebe, this woman, and these churches would have gathered together to hear Paul's exhortation to them, to hear Phoebe read the letter. And they were a diverse bunch. We've talked about this. They, man, like us, the scripture's right here. They, like us, were struggling with their togetherness and their unity uh, because of their stark differences. The Gentile Christians... (laughs) were judging the Jewish Christians. The Jewish Christians were judging the Gentile Christians. And likely when Phoebe's reading this letter to them, they're like sitting on opposite sides of the room. You know, it's like the Democrats over here and the Republicans over here or whatever, whatever other divide, the left and the right, you know, and we're sitting far apart and probably, I mean, probably a little bit like judgy, you know, you know, know the body language. I mean, some of you, when I preach, this is what you're like, you know, you're all suddenly aware of your body language right now. I mean, just, (laughs) sorry about that. I'm I'm not judging you. If you're judging me, I'm not judging you. I'm just, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Sitting apart, Phoebe would have unrolled this, read it in one sitting to them. And uh, when she got to chapter 12, they were already squirming. And probably are squirming even more. Paul begins this section by calling them to offer their bodies as living sacrifices. I mean, you just have to picture, you know, Phoebe's like reading this and then she comes to Romans 12. She goes, offer your bodies as living sacrifices for this is your holy act of worship. And she's looking at them. 
that their, their body life together, how they live is their worship. How they live together is their worship. Their worship is not spouting good doctrine, but it's how they are living together. Do you hear me? Yeah. Then she gets to chapter 12, which we call chapter 12, verse three. <laughs> the verses and chapters were added later. This is what the context is. Paul says, for by, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. And the squirms. <laughs> Can you imagine Phoebe, a trusted pastor in their midst? She's peering over the left. She's noting their squirms. Real and important differences were dominating how they interacted with one another. They looked down their noses at each other. They thought very highly of themselves. And a few late lines later, she reads these words, love each other with mutual affection. This is how we are to be loving one another. The NASB renders this, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Brotherly love. Paul is calling them into sibling-like relationship. And that day, and Paul's using this language very specifically, he does throughout his letters, Jesus uses this language as well. And that day, familial language, like family language, was powerful. This was the preeminent way of interacting with one another. The highest value is who's in your blood family. He was appealing to the kind of love that is typically only experienced among those who share the same bloodline. This is what he's appealing to, that you need to love each other with this kind of sibling sort of love. Now, I was thinking about the power that uh, family relationship is and family kind of love is. And one of the powerful gifts of a family relationship is a shared and understood experience in the midst of varied and unique experiences. So what I mean is this, it's interesting for me when my siblings and I have an older sister and a younger sister, when we get together and talk about, you know, ruminate on the days and growing up with Cresswell, Oregon, there's the shared experience that we've had. We all understand the context and what was happening, but there are these varied and different experiences that each one of us has because we experience what we shared in common differently. That is a powerful component of family relationship. The shared experiences, it's like this. It's, it's like the floorboards of a house. Everybody experiences the floorboards. The floorboards are always there. But the unique and individual experience of the floorboards, some leap off those floorboards with joy. Some hit those floorboards on their knees in absolute sorrow. Do you understand? The shared experience and also the experiences that are different. This is, this is the kind of love that Paul, the scriptures, that Jesus is inviting us into to be able to share a common experience together, but also to respect and value the particular ways that life is experienced for each of us. This is deep family type love that God is wanting to create among us. Paul's advocating for us 
to love in this mysterious way, in this deep way. We are to cultivate sisterly, brotherly affection for each other. And you might be saying, okay, how do we do that? (laughs) That's a great vision. I like it. What do you mean, how? I want to take the remainder of our time this morning to talk about two ways of how. In the coming weeks, we'll continue to unpack these various postures of love that will foster deeper and deeper love for one another. Here are two for today. Posture of love, number one, commitment. Or maybe we could say this is like the floorboard. That each of us are being called into creating a kind of experience for others that is dependable, that is loyal, and that is consistent. Posture of love number two we'll talk about this morning, which I think furthers this mutual affection, empathy, or hearing others experience with the floorboards of their life. Posture number one, commitment. So imagine Phoebe is with us right now. She's peering over the page once again. She's wondering what's going on at New Hope. <laughs> what's going on among those people? How is this working out? She's wondering if we will love each other genuinely. She's wondering that. She's hopeful that this community that was birthed by Jesus Christ, this, this community was not birthed by an individual. This was birthed by Jesus Christ. She's hopeful that we, by the Holy Spirit, would be a witness and a testimony to God's love. As God has embraced us, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, will we embrace one another fully and thoroughly? That's the question she's asking. I think that's the question that Jesus is asking as well. Now, in this, the season that we've gone through, lots of turmoil, right? I've noticed, and maybe you've noticed too, you long for stability, long for something that you can count on, long for something you can depend on. Um, the staff and I, we, we met to plan Christmas, this, all of our Christmas celebrations. And it was just so fun to plan because we're thinking about those traditions that we all kind of count on, Christmas Eve services, our Christmas carol sing that we'll be doing, and uh, uh, all the various, the youth Christmas party, um, opportunity to decorate the church together, these traditions. I just long for it in this time. I long for it. Listen, we need traditions. We need certainty. We need commitment. We need to forge trust among ourselves by refusing to threaten each other with our absence. Let me say that again. We need to forge trust among ourselves by refusing to threaten each other with absence. Loyalty should be the mark of Christian community. Maybe it isn't just Phoebe who's asking us this question, you know, who read the letter. Perhaps Jesus is at attention watching his bride right now and wondering, will they be committed to one another and devoted? Will they? It's tough. Listen, apart from spiritual abuse, blatant immorality or heresy, hearsay, hearsay, Heresy, heresy, there's the word. (laughs) Listen, we must assume commitment and loyalty among each other. This is the the high bar of the scriptures. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a Christian pastor and scholar, was martyred by the Nazis in 1944, um, did many experiments with Christian community and wrote a book called Life Together. 
And just, just a line from, from a, a beautiful section. He writes this. He says, on innumerable occasions, a whole Christian community has been shattered because it has lived on the basis of a wishful image. And we all come in with our ideals or our wishes of what the church community should, it should be. And that very idealism will end up destroying it because we'll inevitably be dis disappointed. Bonhoeffer would say, it is a gift to be disappointed by your Christian community because it presses you into mutual dependence with your other sinners, <laughs> your brothers and sisters in Christ who constantly get it wrong just like you do. Oh, do not consider yourselves more highly than you ought to, oh, but with all humbleness, be devoted to one another. That's Paul in another scripture. In a culture of choices, that's what we live in. Like you had to choose to come to church this morning. We often feel too free to unchoose our church family. Oh, man. And we will never get to mutual affection if commitment isn't first. Loyalty doesn't reign. Hmm. It is uh, within our power to refuse to leave one another. It's within our power to be devoted to one another through thick and thin, like, like blood family. In fact, we are blood family. Jesus' blood clothes us. <laughs> he cleanses our sins and clothes us with righteousness. So we, as brothers and sisters, all of us, children of God, can come into the same room and we're blood family. You know what I'm saying? Ah, yeah. oh, man. It is my prayer that in, in my lifetime, I experience more of that commitment than I've ever experienced in the body of Christ before. I think this is something that God is doing in the church today. Pressure all around. What will we do? What will we do? Hmm. Oh, I wrote this. Be as mundane and predictable and consistent as the floorboards of the house. You will be walked on. But also, you will be present to experience the joys of your sisters and brothers who develop, who, who, who emerge into victory and song. And you will be able to weep with those who weep. And yes, you will be walked on. We're called to do that. Jesus calls us to service and to loving each other in this way. Okay, the second one I feel like is, is these work hand in hand, empathy. And we're gonna talk about empathy. So are we hanging in there? Are we okay so far? Okay, yeah, I know. Uh, it's a lot to wrestle with. All right. This posture of love, I think if practiced and honed, will increase your felt affection for everyone around you, even those you vehemently disagree with. And when you feel affection, commitment gets easier. Have you noticed this? Yeah. When you feel affection, commitment gets easier. So this is, a school, this, is a, this is a skill you can learn to develop, to develop further affection for others. <clears throat> so um, lots of people around the world are experiencing change. A couple of uh, stats here, geographical location, job changes. Um, in Australia, one out of every five people who live in the cities are now considering to move to the country. Um, in Britain, 75% of the population over the last 18 months has reevaluated their lives. 
And I've never heard so many people in my life, I've lived in Oregon most of my life, moving to Idaho, to Texas, to Arizona, you know, South Dakota, changes all over the place. Many of you are thinking or are in the midst of a career change or a job change. Some of you have relocated here. Others are considering relocation. The world is changing. Did you know that royals Prince Harry and Meghan have also gone through a job change? renouncing their royalty and now trying to make a living in Hollywood. Did you know this? Yeah. (laughs) They left the royal position. Yeah. Now imagine sitting with them and reporting how you are going to change jobs and change locations. And Prince Harry was to reply to you. Oh, yes, I know precisely what you mean. (laughs) Isn't it a a drag? That is not empathy. That's right. Okay, and I'll, I'll explain. The power of empathy is even somebody like Prince Harry would be able to forge a connection with you over a share, for a similar experience if he used empathy. Position or experience has nothing to do with empathy. We'll talk more. Empathy, here's a definition out of a great book called The EQ Edge. Empathy is this, the ability to be aware of, to understand, and appreciate the feelings and thoughts of others. Empathy is tuning in, being sensitive to what, how, and why people feel and think the way they do. Empathy is a skill of curiosity, wondering why do people come from the places they come from? Now, this is Jesus' love for us. It is because of God's love that Jesus came into our broken world and into our broken lives. And Jesus, his descension to earth means that God came directly into our world to be at precisely our level. Like it, not like the level of you on a good day. <laughs> you and I on our worst day, Jesus came right into the middle of it. And as a matter of fact, the point when Jesus came into history was some of the world's worst days. We were not on our best behavior. Crucifixions, it wasn't just like Jesus who's crucified. Rome was using it all the time to declare their rule. This is what Jesus did. He met humans where they were at to show compassion to the broken. Matthew records a specific moment of Jesus' love through empathy. Matthew 9, 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he was coming to Jerusalem. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When when you think of empathy, I want you to think of Jesus coming into our broken world and then asking yourself how it is that you can come into the broken worlds and lives of those around, not with condescension or pity, but with grace and love. That's empathy. Um, Yeah. John 3.17 tells us that Jesus did not come to judge the world but to save it. (laughs) Surprisingly, Jesus, when he saw these crowds, he marched right into the confused, bitter, resentful, angry crowd and had compassion on them and gave his complete presence to the world, even his enemies all the way to the cross. That's empathy. You might be wrong, but I'm gonna love you all the way through, even at the cost of my own dignity. I want to be careful here. I'm not suggesting you stay in situations of abuse if you're being physically, emotionally, sexually abused by someone. But what I am saying is the high call 
of God towards, to us is to exert this sort of love, compassion, empathy with those who are around us, and we need it more than ever. Brene Brown um, has a great perspective on empathy. Um, why don't you go ahead and take a look, and then we'll finish our talk. So what is empathy, and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions, where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective-taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. <laughs> Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, climb down. I know what it's like down here, and you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, <laughs> it's bad, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, no, you want a sandwich? <laughs> um, empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time. Because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. <laughs> John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. Mm. Oh, man. With all the convulsions and difficulties in our world right now, people are feeling more and more in deep and dark holes. The question is posed to us to our Christian community, to, to you and I, endeavoring to be a part of this, will we take on a posture of empathy? Will we love each other with mutual affection? Will we give others the relational space they need to have their own experiences and to work through their reactions to the world that is changing? While I was in New York City this last uh, summer, Owen and I took a break from the humid heat and uh, we found our way uh, to Herald Square off of 34th Street near the Empire State Building. And next to me, as Owen and I you know, were um, getting some food and drinking some water and just taking a break, there was an older man who sat next to us. And right before we were getting up to leave, the old man started talking to me. 
His name is Silvano. Immigrated from Sicily to New York City in 1974. Here I am, I'm like in Herald Square. <laughs> I'm talking to a Sicilian. I mean, it's like, it like a magical New York moment. But then it got real. He said, would you believe it? I slapped my daughter. She called the police on me. In Sicily, nobody calls the police for that. She never talked to me no more. What did I do? God is punishing me. Punishing me. For what? That's what he said. I decided to express empathy. I, if you didn't know this, am not in charge of the universe. <laughs> I disagree with him hitting his daughter. But did I need to sort out the cultural differences? Did I need in that moment to make a stand for rightness? Or did a homeless man need a connection? I couldn't fix it, nor should I further his condemnation for every day his life is a condemnation. I listened. I stayed present. I offered no theological statement about whether God is punishing him or not. But instead, I took on the posture of love and presence that Jesus takes before me. Me who is guilty. Me who lives in the results of my own sin. Me who wants to voice complaint rather than utter humility. Jesus is with me and loves me and invites me to treat the Silvanos of the world with dignity, with an empathy, with compassion, not pity, with compassion. So I did in that moment. Christian psychologist Dr. Kurt Thompson in an amazing book called The Anatomy of the Soul, he says this, he's reflecting on empathy itself. He says, I believe our lives will be abundant, joyful, and peaceful only to the degree that we are engaged, known, and understood by one another. And so as the divisions of the world continue to, to divide us, we are prone to slink further into isolation. But we are all like Silvano, needing someone to connect with, wondering if we can be accepted for who we are. And folks, the Christian community should be that place where we are loving each other with mutual affection. I like how Shel Silverstein Steen put, cleverly penned this. He said, he said this, underneath my outside face, there's a face that none can see. A little less smiley, a little less sure, but a whole lot more like me. Hmm. I hope that because of the work of Jesus in each of us, we are able to accept the real people around us in our Christian community. I hope that facades continue to drop and we find ourselves accepted by others because God and Christ has accepted me and you. Commitment and empathy go hand in hand. I am with you and I will not leave you. And I seek to understand you. I seek to love you exactly the way you are right now. Without judgment, without pity, without condensation. Rather, with openness in the way that God has embraced me. Hmm. It's a high bar, but the Holy Spirit will empower us towards that. 
This morning we are uh, receiving communion. Um, and you've noticed, if you've been around the last few weeks, we're, we're taking communion regularly, um, every week. I need my mask is what I'm looking for. There we go. Thank you. Donnie and I are going to be at the front of the room um, as the worship team is, um, is leading us in, in a song of reflection. And we'd like to invite you to come and receive these elements from us. We're your brother and we're your sister. And we want to serve you in that way. Um, and as you take communion this morning, which by the way is open to anyone, you don't have to be a member here, you, you know, you can, you, there's not a big list of rules, it's an open table. Come and receive. Um, but we invite you to reflect on and accept the fact that Jesus is present with you when you're right and when you're wrong. His compassion for you is deep. His presence is always offered to you. And he showed how deep his commitment is to you by dying on the cross. Parents, we, um, there are communion elements at your table, but if you want to bring your kids down and have them re uh, receive them from us, that's great, and, and just invite you to help your kids as they participate with that. There's gonna be a song being sung, and so you'll have space and moments to do this. Um, we haven't done this in a while, so you know, I have to figure out, like the I think, come down the, the center and then go back to your seats down the outside edges. That might work best. <laughs> Subject to change in future weeks. Yeah, so come down. There's three middle aisles. Come down this way, and then go to, yeah. You at home. I um, encourage you to take with your own elements and reflect the same. As we move into communion, um, let's stand and let's say this prayer. This is an ancient prayer of confession that we're using um, to help us confess appropriately because, gosh, we, we all need it, and Jesus is piecing us back together. Okay, ready, go. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O oh Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent according to your promises declare to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Okay, you can come forward. I'll be on this side, and Daniel will be on that side, and um, we'll be glad to serve you. And either side is, is the same.